0: Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, We all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at GreenballTires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiry. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, They have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes, but they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected, even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs Keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must-have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed pro peg mounts that allow you to use TRX 450R NERF bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DVR Racing, visit their website at www.dbratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you With any questions or inquiries, DVR racing products where innovation meets performance unleash the power within you. Chris Borning, welcome to ATV Talk. How are you, brother? Doing good. Hey, you know, you text me uh, some information, you know, saying that you were interested and and since then you and I have had multiple conversations. I just wanted to say thank you so much for the interest. Uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is, uh, I've been, been listening to the show since the beginning and, uh, it's been, it's been very good. So,
0: well, I, I try to keep it open and honest, L- like today, you know, we're running a little behind. And I appreciate you working with me, but there's no script.
1: No, no, nope. you know? just winging it. <laughs> and
0: that's the best way, right?
1: You bet. It's, it's, it's genuine that way.
0: It may not be the best way when you're planning to build something, but, uh, you know, we're uh, doing it a little different to to find out about you and to find out about your company. The best way is to wing it, because um, I want to ask you questions about how did you get into ATVs?
1: Uh, So it goes back early early 90s. My grandparents had three wheelers um, and I was always too young to to ride them but my brothers my older brother would take me with uh, on the back and we'd get into all kinds of trouble. So um and then my my dad got a, a Yamaha Moto 4 250 a 91 um and you know just naturally I wrote it like a wrote <laughs> it like a bat out of hell so um you know jumped the thing all over the place and uh took it uh, we had a county park that had some really steep hill climbs and that thing wasn't the greatest for hill climbs and, um, rolled it down the hill several times and good, <laughs> just good stuff. Um, and then, uh, that park got closed down and there wasn't much to, you know, much to, uh, work many places to ride. And so we just we naturally went to, went racing. So, and cause it just seemed like there was more opportunity every weekend to ride that way. So
0: what portion of the country were, are we talking?
1: Um, I'm in Minnesota. So, um, I raced, uh, started racing out in, uh, South Dakota. Cause I was real close to, uh, to South Dakota and the Sioux Valley Cycle Club, um, started racing in 2002. Um, and, uh, basically raced pretty much full time until, uh, 2010. And then I retired to concentrate on my Uh, my powder coating business so
0: so let me ask you this you live in the frozen tundra oh yeah how do you race
1: i don't i don't like winter at all i I usually don't (laughs) i sit in my garage and build stuff in, in the winter um never uh never been ice racing um used to ride in the you know, as, as a kid, I'd ride in the winter and stuff just because it's something to do in the winter to break up the monotony. But um, other than that, you know, it's I, I didn't didn't do any indoor stuff, really. I, we did a few and then they got closed down and, you know, it just it wasn't, you know, nothing ever very steady. So. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, naturally, some spring and summer and fall were the hard times to ride. So
0: and that's all three months.
1: Three months, <laughs> and it just seems like it's always you know we haven't hardly rolled it all this year um you know it went from being super wet to super hot, and then the weeds grow up on the tracks and um yeah <laughs> it's hard to hard there's no in between, <laughs> so
0: no, because my picturing of of your area of the world is ice and snow
1: <laughs> pretty pretty much <laughs> so yeah we we get a you know a few months uh of good riding, but you know august and stuff it's about like Tennessee here, so it uh gets nasty, so real hot and humid and
0: well dude, we're like in the hundreds, so hot to us is
1: yeah
0: <laughs> it's a different thing i mean I know the lens, hot humid is you know you you can barely breathe sometimes, but yeah, it doesn't stop anybody from racing
1: no 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 they uh just drink lots of water (laughs) back before we knew you were supposed to drink a lot of water right sometimes beer (laughs) (laughs) well
0: (laughs) whatever it takes to get the job done right yep so you started what what, motocross cross country what do you guys motocross
1: Hmm. motocross motocross yep that was pretty much uh I pretty much raced motocross until um, about 07, 08, um, and then started racing a local Supercross series. Um, I liked the tight technical stuff um, and, you know, big triples and stuff like that. I liked that better um, than motocross. And it uh, could go in there and get it done a lot quicker than, you know, being gone for the whole weekend and stuff. I like, just like that atmosphere. I like being at the track, but I also like being at home too. <laughs> so, um, it's, uh, so naturally I, I did that, uh, 07, 08, 09, and then 2010. And then I, uh, kind of retired for a little while. So, um, but, uh, yeah, mot- motocross, you know, jumping was my main thing. I've done some TT racing as well. Uh, not a whole lot, but, um, I, for some reason, I don't know why I didn't gravitate more to TT. I really like, you know, like that stuff. Um, I like the, the setup, you know, aspect of it. So.
0: that There's a whole art form to it that these oh, those yeah. guys are super specialists at it just like sprint cars, you know, yep. they have a, a technique to them that, um, you have to do it to understand it. And I know this much. You know. Yeah,
1: know Yep. Same here. It, and that's why I've always liked it. Cause I, you know, I have a, you know, respect for the guys that do do, you know, do it. And uh, just because of, the, you know, all the setup and prep that goes into it, it's not just, Oh, throw some slicks on in a sway bar and go racing. It's not anything like that. Correct. Correct.
0: <laughs> you're weighing the machine, you're doing all kind of measurements and measuring yep. tires and tire pressures. And, um, you know, the guys that do it every day are thinking, Oh yeah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. This is, you, you know, you're making it sound harder than it is. Uh, well, for us, it is harder for those guys that do it every day, you know, yep. come race, desert race it, and, I'll, and you'll think, Oh my God, this is, this is yep. terrific. No, this is cake. You just have to set it up. Right. You know, just like a yep. track or a motocross track, you know, it's all it's all in how you prep it and what you're used to
1: you know and i i think in in motocross you know in the amateurs and stuff i think you can get away with not as much prep um but tt is so specialized that you have to be on point otherwise it just doesn't you know doesn't work for you (laughs) so
0: yeah because i don't think that you can take a guy that's a just super fast rider and put him on an average machine and expect him to outperform a no. setup machine with an average guy is going to be faster.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Because that Cause machine's going to, in the track, you know, the moisture in the track changes. Then you got to change tires and sway bar settings and everything. And it's just, it's a, yeah, it's an art, like you said. So
0: Shane hit <laughs> 11 sets of shocks.
1: Oh, yeah. I can believe it.
0: Eleven. I, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. we had two.
1: Sometimes one. <laughs> yep. yep, one set.
0: Yeah, and I mean we're adjusting it, and that's
1: it. I mean, I, I, most of the time I ran PEP, so I'd be adjusting the the ZPS and just moving ride heights a little bit just to get a different feel, and then it's like, oh boy, <laughs> hopefully that works,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, that's too funny. So you you said in two thousand ten you slowed your racing down to take care of your powder coating business um were you doing big industrial stuff or a lot of small stuff
1: uh both mainly big industrial um we yeah uh car chassis big we did a lot of hand, hand railing and stuff like that for big egg companies because naturally there's a lot of egg uh building going around here uh going on around here so yeah the uh a lot of, a lot of customers and stuff. And, you know, unfortunately in 2016 we were able to sell our powder coating business. Um, and that kind of propelled me into getting into fabrication more. So, um, so it was, yeah, it was a good, good timing. And stuff. so.
0: So where were you in the fabrication world while you had your powder coating company?
1: Um just doing some, uh, small ATV stuff as far as fabrication. Uh, when we had our powder coat business, um, one of the main things we did, uh, we did a lot of, we, we sponsored root river racing when they were going and we did all their frames and parts and everything. So, so we did those frames and stuff for about three, four years, I believe. And, uh, that was, a, that was a lot. <laughs> so, um, they always had wild colors. So, um, and then, uh, didn't, we, we sold our business in 2016 and then, um, helped the company that bought it, get, get their new facility started. And then we started, um, our fab business called Star Lake Fabrication. Um, and, uh, and that was in 2017. We, we did that until 2021. And then the the COVID and all that stuff, everybody just quit, quit coming to work. <laughs> so I just, we ended up closing it down. We had so much work. It was just, it was getting hard to, uh, hard to manage. So I just decided to close it down and, uh, my wife and I went and got jobs. <laughs> so it, uh, easier just getting a paycheck that way. So, um,
0: Were there jobs but, out there at that point? Was that? Were there jobs out there at that point?
1: Oh Yeah. Yeah, I could have put about 30 people to work and uh we did a lot of OEM uh work for John Deere, Caterpillar, um you name it. We were doing a lot of OEM stuff, you know, little widgets and big parts. So um it was it was pretty uh it was a pretty cool cool experience because there's a lot of co- companies that are, you know, that are out there that can't get in with those companies and we got in with them and it just you know, it just it was, we were busy, very, very busy, even through COVID. And it just, we just couldn't find the people, you know, the government was handing out checks. So, um, it was kind of a, kind of a sad time, but you know, it was definitely, we were busier during COVID than anything. It was pretty wild.
0: It. it I don't want to get off on a tangent, but we have the same problem. Our vendors don't have people. Yeah. And when they have people, they don't have material. You know, and we, my brother and I, work together, and we're basically all there is. You yep. know, we have an occasional uh, daughter, niece show up to help, or we have, you know, a friend will help. But for the most part, it's Lauren and I. Yeah. Um, you know, our pops is 88 years old and still does some things, but nothing. Yeah nothing like he used to do it sure
1: yeah it's uh it's 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 a weird weird time you know i I was brought up so much different and you know most people my age were and they just nobody wants to work anymore it's it's this weird i I like working i like making stuff so that's why i continue doing it (laughs) so
0: you know i uh work for my brother full-time and sometimes i'm full-time but sometimes just full time. (laughs) <laughs> and, and he feeds my, my custom business or my business on the side work as often as he can. Plus I get clients to where I'm building machines for them, uh, as ordered, you know, um, usually my clients come through Duncan racing, um, sure. but not all, uh, some are some hunt me down, uh, through our social media or, or whatever it is. Um, and then obviously i didn't think i was had anything to do uh, i mean i must have been bored one day and here we are with a podcast and a media company and um pulling our hair out because there's not enough hours in the day to do it all
1: sure yep
0: you know it's i, I know it's late there or later there than it is here but um you know uh, we're taping because i had to work earlier today and and like yep. when i get done i'm going to go out and run a machine because I don't have any other time to do it.
1: No, that's same, same here. I'm, I'm going to be machining when we're done here. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when else, if you, if you work for yourself, when else are you going to do it?
1: Yep. And I and I have a, I have a day job. I'm an engineer for a plastics and r- uh, rubber company here. And uh, I work my eight hours there and I come, come here and work another eight. <laughs> so.
0: so, so explain some of the molding and, uh, stuff that you were showing, you were telling me about it. But in your description of your company, uh, you were talking about some of the things like the 3D stuff that you do. Uh, yep. Explain about
1: that. Yeah. So uh, DBR, um, we we do a lot of 3D modeling, um, and basically I come up with an idea for a part or make a part for somebody else, and I'll 3D model it at first, which know just naturally helps the aid and you know the fitment and everything because you can either 3d print it or something and test fit it before you actually put you know a cutter to metal and actually start making up you know machining a part and uh that that's really helpful so um when we first started uh manufacturing parts for you know the atvs most of the stuff i just have the four-wheeler in front of me and i would fit it you know and do it the, the old school way which I still do some of that and then I refine it into the 3d modeling and that, and that really, you know, just streamlines it for when we make quantities. So, cause then you get all your bends perfect and you know, everything's exact. And then if you do need to outsource something, it it's easy that way. Um, cause you have it all documented and in a model. So,
0: so uh, when you're 3d modeling something is uh, are you like 3d printing it so it comes out in a plastic form the part is all done in plastic and you can touch it bolt it on feel it i mean it might be brittle right
1: um so not not all 3d printing is brittle i mean and we don't always 3d print something you know so like when i say 3d modeling like say autocad or um uh you know solidworks for instance i i use Auto, autodesk fusion 360 for a lot of my stuff and uh so like i'll 3d model it in, in on a computer and then if i want to test something um as far as fitment goes i'll 3d print it and then test it and then i'll machine it so if i want
0: to so if i want to so make this widget i can give you that widget and you can draw it for me yep. and give me a program so that i could put it into my machine and and you, you bet.
1: Yep. You'll just have to set your, you know, work coordinates and your uh, set your tools and stuff and then you'd be good to go.
0: Do you do that for people as well?
1: Yeah. yep. Yeah, it's, it's part of our consulting side of our business. So.
0: So, oh, so you're just, you consult and build parts at the same time. Yep. Yep. You, you build a lot of your stuff out of plastic, right?
1: Nope. Uh, a lot of it's, uh, aluminum or, or steel. So, okay. yep. Like our yep. battery boxes are, are steel. Um, yep. you know, nat- naturally the, you know, we, we did a lot of testing with the battery box at the, at the beginning when we first started making them, you know, we tried like 14 gauge and we tried 12 gauge steel, um, the, the placement of the battery on the YFC 450R and the carburetor one for that matter, that battery gets very, very heavy when it's whipping around back there. Um, and I, I had a plastic battery box fail, um, a stock one and that's where that one was born. So, um, it, uh, you know, ripped out and it, it shredded my wiring harness and everything. <laughs> so, uh, the, the 12 gauge ones, um, they, they're all right, but I went with a 10 gauge steel, on um, on the battery box and, you know, ideally it's designed for the stock battery and it it just holds up. I mean, they just, they get multiple seasons out of them and they just, they hold up. So, and that's, that's the main thing. I mean, we could build them really light, but for motocross and stuff, it's just a bad idea.
0: The light is good, but, but for certain parts, strength matters.
1: Strength matters. And that particular spot for the battery, when you're going through whoop-de-doos and, you know, big jumps and stuff and breaking bumps that battery, you know, it might only weigh seven pounds or six pounds or whatever it is on a scale, but it's probably more like 50, 60 pounds when it's back there. So, right. Right. And people, people don't understand that when it comes time to build stuff. (laughs) So, um, it, uh, it has to be that way for a reason. (laughs) So, And,
0: and that the idea for the battery box comes from being a rider and, an enthusiast and going out and having the failure. Yep. um, How, how many people like that or how many people comment on that? Um, I'm getting feedback from it already. Um, It's not something that our company has ever sold, um, but I'm getting a lot of ear rattling going, Hey, what is this? Where do I find it?
1: Yep. Uh, So the, the battery boxes, yeah, it was it was all built from necessity. Um, I just I don't DNFs are never fun. <laughs> so and we, you know when you got a, a seven hundred dollar vortex hanging around back there, you know, and you DNF you know, or you have a battery box fail. I know some people put them in those toolboxes and stuff, but you know we make the vortex exo cage, which is also built out of necessity, uh, just for that that reason. The vortexes be, they, they're hard to get at times and you know there's sometimes there's back orders for months and then all of a sudden you know people are wrecking them because they're just letting them flop around and then the little rubber strap breaks and which is it's not a question of if it'll break it's when <laughs> it, 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 and it's gonna so um i, I just i was like there's there's got to be a better way so i designed the axle cage and um we've we've sold a lot of them. It's been a, it's been a good, good product for them. It's probably our number one seller. So.
0: Well, I have a couple of machines out there with the ones that, that you've sent me and, and we're uh, actively uh, testing one in the desert environment. Um, Sweet. We'll, we'll, there's more things that you and I have discussed that we'll, that will bring along um, yeah, out of necessity as well, that I think are going to be a, a good deal for, uh, the Yamaha YFC 450R people, there might be some sure. other things that, uh, that I may rattle your chain about because uh, we still do build uh, quite a few Hondas. So,
1: yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, and I definitely take customer feedback. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, I, I feed off of it. Cause that's, you know, it's just going to drive you to be better. You know, obviously there's some things you can't, can't do. Uh, like I'd love to make that battery box, you know, two pounds, but, it just won't work. <laughs> so um
0: when you when you talk to the guys that run lithium batteries that are so much lighter um do you make a version of the box that that they can use with a lithium battery or are you afraid that when it leaves the bike with a lithium battery and they put a stock battery in it now we're going to have a problem.
1: You know, and that some people are you know, resp- responsible to that, if you will. You know, they'll they'll put the correct battery in if we do build a light one, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to build it light because then they sell the machine with that on there and all of a sudden it's failing. And then you know DBR's got a bad name for that reason. I've I've never had a battery box fail. And uh I people have broken swing arms and stuff and smashed them up into the battery box, but it saved all their electronics and stuff. And that's you know there's thousands of dollars back there. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just a, a very important part. I mean, if you're a pro and maybe you're getting new plastics and new, you know, pieces and stuff, you, you maybe don't need that. But if you're racing a whole season or two seasons on the same machine, it's a pretty, you know, inexpensive uh, investment. So,
0: yeah, I think that most of the machines that you see raced, um, at the motocross tracks and even a lot of the wood stuff is different battery aftermarket battery boxes.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, we, we did have one, it was called our SC one, uh, box. Um, we're going to be, we're working on some, uh, uh, we're revamping it right now. And that held an SC one anti-gravity battery and that box and battery, uh, together were like three pounds total. and uh, the, the original version would work great for like a TT setup, but when you start hammering, you know, whoop de doos and stuff, uh, it was kind of what I call a, like a hybrid. It was aluminum and steel mixed. Um, and we've, we had some good luck with it, but we, you know, we did have a failure, um, in testing. So we are, you know, revamping it. So, um, so we're going to be re-releasing that box here, it, which is, and it's nice too. So, one thing with that is that battery is so much smaller and the box is so much smaller. Uh, we can run a lot bigger air filter. Um, you know, so naturally that that helps too. And people like to run the big air filters. So.
0: So with the plastic setup piece that bolts in there, it, if you run like a fuel customs intake, uh, you can get their box and it gives you a, a basic box because you have the plastic piece. When you go to your battery box, how do you seal that area so that it's closed off?
1: Yep. So some people will add like a little shroud to it, um, and w- we have a version that we're going to be coming out with uh, to tie into you know that uh, aluminum battery b- or air box that I showed you. Um, so we're going to have a shroud that goes up to our box, our battery box, so it, um, and it might uh it might come in and just kind of uh you know naturally flow together um if you will so we're we have a few things in the works that um are gonna be pretty pretty exciting especially for the cross country and off-road guys um motocross a lot of times they're they're cutting their you know air boxes and stuff anyways um so that you know they're opening them up where the cross country guys want to see all that stuff so
0: y- yeah I don't, um, I don't think that the motocross guys in every aspect would want it open, but
1: right in a muddy condition, they would definitely want it closed off. So so
0: is the the shroud going to be removable or is it going to be on there all permanent?
1: Yep. It would be a removable setup. So it it kind of a modular, you can bolt it in if you want it or unbolted it for more airflow. So
0: more supposed airflow yep
1: (laughs) not making any claims (laughs) right right right
0: (laughs) well you got to be real careful nowadays because yeah
1: you told me it was going to give me an extra 10 horsepower
0: (laughs) right there you go I mean somebody's going to say it does somebody's going to say it doesn't you know and and somewhere in there there's a truth so you got to be careful yep
1: Yep. (laughs) I
0: live in I live in that world oh boy you know, yep. <laughs> I, that's why we li- I like to test everything, you know, in the conversations that you and I have had, it's, you know, before I'm going to jump into to selling a bunch of this stuff or uh, diverting people a certain way, I want to make sure that I can know that it's tough, not going to have any issues Get it out there in a in a in an environment where it's just going to get beat to snot, so that I can bring it back. And if there's a failure or if there's something that we need to talk about for this reason or that reason, I can get it back to you. You know, with a diagram or whatever, and show you what's needed, or you know, just get your input to say, hey, is this normal? Is this what we should expect? So on and so forth. Just like when you're testing yep. in. Months. Yep. You know, I mean, we've been testing products for it feels like my whole life. Um, <laughs> and, and some work out great. Uh, the, the scary thing is, is when you've tested a product in depth and it works for you every time and you sell it to the customer and then they can't make it work.
1: Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. That's, uh, you know, back when I was racing full time, we were, we were trying to squeeze out every ounce of power we could get. And, you know, we were trying board carbs and, you know, trying to move the power to certain areas and that just uh i was never a fan of the board carbs for some reason it just i couldn't get them to work with my motor setup and uh i just i ended up going back to the stock because it it worked in all the different temperatures and it uh you know the jetting was always spot on and i just went back to what worked (laughs) so um you know it was like well no one's no sense in trying to reinvent the wheel when it when you what you had was working so
0: Well, you didn't know it didn't work until or didn't work the way you wanted it to until you tried it.
1: Yep. Had to try it. So
0: There's internet guys using things that I freaking have tested multiple times. And I'm scratching my noodle going, how did they get it to work? Because I could never get it to work. Right. And I don't think I'm dumb.
1: (laughs) And it's you know, some people will say that their machines are, you know, they have so much power. Well, then you get on it. And it's like, well, where's that power at? <laughs> and it's, Oh, that thing runs great. It runs like crap. You know, um, I, I don't think that, I don't think the average person, uh, I don't think they know. And uh, you can tell when something's off, <laughs> you know, especially if you've done it for a long time. So.
0: Yeah. I think that, that there's a lot to be said for the people that don't know that don't understand what it's supposed to feel like. And, yep. and a lot of people don't understand that feel is very much a part of what you're doing when you're tuning suspension, when you're tuning engines. Yep. I know that the dyno guys are going, Oh, you're full of shit. You know, it's okay, guys, you do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Yep. Yep. And, and I'm not going to tell anybody that you're wrong I'm just not going to tell anybody that you're right either.
1: So, <laughs> yep. Uh, you,
0: you know, I mean, there are some brilliant guys out there doing some things that are just unbelievable in our oh, yeah. industry now. That with with the portions of the fuel injection and and things like that, so y- you can really. Gain knowledge in areas that you may not have because by yeah. no, by no means am I the smartest guy when it comes to fuel injection, you know, I was sure. learning about it until 2006, basically when it came out on the LTR, we were playing with it with a couple other things to, to, you know, to, to get rolling in it. But until you, start, you don't know. Yeah. You know, and, and Vortex. Yeah. And and when the Vortex ECU came out, dude, that, that's just, that's just cheating. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it just bypasses so much. Yep. Um, and the models of machines that don't have one, God, I pity those people.
1: Oh yeah. I was, so I had a Kawasaki, a KFX 450 and they, uh, Sorry. they didn't even have a Vortex for those things. I actually just sold it here about a week ago. Um, and uh, they didn't. They don't have a Vortex for those machines. And I was just like, well, I don't even want to deal with any of these other piggyback ones because they don't work like a Vortex does. So I'm just, yeah, have fun.
0: <laughs> You're, there, there's a modification that was not very familiar where you could use the motorcycle fuel injection uh, where you had to do a bunch of modifications to the machine to do... Sure work um personally i never got to touch one um but i've spoken to people that had um and you could bolt to you know plug your the the motorcycle vortex into it um with some work with a less modified machine this the that unit would power it tune it and you were good to go Uh, sure more advanced guys you'd have to um have New curves made, new fuel maps made, um, but it just never caught on because you were spending astronomical dough to keep that machine cool, plus keep with the if you have to adapt a new electrical system to it, that's a whole new ball of wax with modifying flywheels and, and new covers that need to be machined and just thousands of dollars that the general consumer was never going to pay for on that model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's your, yeah. Like you said, you're fighting to keep it cool. And the one I had, the guy that I got it from, he actually, uh, he put the fan on a switch so you could leave it on all the time. Otherwise it wouldn't come on sometimes and it would overheat and as a, you know, i just my my younger brother ended up buying it for me and uh so he, he'll he build it up to something so
0: But you uh, don't like your you don't like your little brother <laughs> he,
1: he wanted it the worst way so i was like okay you can have I, it uh,
0: i tried to let my son race and develop that machine and let him race that machine sure Sorry, Danny. I really am sorry. <laughs> I apologize to you multiple times. I should have left you on the Honda all along. Um, but we we learned so much, and you know, f- fortunately for me, uh, Jimmy White was was a friend, and he helped helped us out a bunch and uh, gave us some do's and don'ts. And and yep. uh, yeah, I got I, we got away from those machines pretty much as fast as we could.
1: Yep. Yeah, I've got a got a Cannondale as well. So oh <laughs> yeah, Leon Spindon helped me uh help me build that one. So
0: you know, good thing Leon's a good dude.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh you know, oh. I when I first got the thing, it was I uh, actually set up as a 250R, had the Walsh kit on it, and uh had a pro has a Tracks front end on it. Um and then I I just, I started working on it and I was just like, well, I don't really, it's a Cannondale. It needs to have Cannondale plastics on it. It just, it just isn't worthy to have 250 art plastics on it. So I, we got Cannondale plastics and put those back on it. Um, it's, it's on the, I got to finish a few things on it cause we, we actually put a, a Honda 450, um, axle in there and brakes and everything. So it's got all good brakes and whatnot. So, um, going to build a brake stay for it so um to get that all to work but
0: does it still sound like it's eating itself
1: oh for sure they they don't that'll never change it's all gear uh gear driven and they you know some of the things that they were doing were way ahead of their time and then the other things it's like you guys run out of money at that point in your time because you really cheaped out on that or you know it's just some of the stuff was super weird and Their little clips to hold stuff in, and it was like, yeah, weird. (laughs) So,
0: what happens when bicycle manufacturer starts trying to build motorsport stuff? Yep. Or you could be like KTM, you know, build three quarters of it really cool with some really cool options, and then the engineer took the rest of the time off. We think I. (laughs) Yep. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking on, uh, on the development of some of that machine
1: never, never ridden a KTM. Um, I've always wanted to get one for my collection, but you know, their parts are kind of hard to find. So, especially the, you can get some of the stuff, obviously And there's a lot of, you know, diehard. So, you know, I don't think they'd probably be that hard, but you're going to pay for them. So
0: yeah, you're not missing anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've (laughs) always been the Yamaha or Honda guy myself. They just work. (laughs) So
0: uh, well, they were kind of the mainstay of the industry, you know. It's like Yamaha now is is the industry. Um, as much as it breaks my heart to say that, um, you know, I I heard a rumor through the grapevine, and I'll never say where I'm hearing this from, but I, I've heard a rumor through the grapevine that um, there is a 450 coming from Honda. No, from somebody.
1: Sure are
0: that, that our sport quad industry is going to get a new a new machine um, where when how not going to go there, but just sure. this is what I've heard, but i I've also heard other stories as well. the manufacturer that you um mentioned, they have a machine legal oh, yeah. whether, whether it be the bean counters, whether it be legal. Whether it be whoever, it, for some reason they're not putting it out there. I think that they're thinking that they're not going to make enough sales. Uh, the industry right now is bleeding for something, and
1: and you know, and being in the manufacturing, you know, world, they've, they've if they've already produced all the tooling and stuff, they're they're already just bleed hemorrhaging money because they've already you know spent that money, so they might as well recoup it and release you know because any honda could release a dud in it they'll sell it (laughs) you know they'll people figure out a way to make it work
0: dude make the 14 again as it is. is maybe maybe make the tranny a little bit better yep other than that make the same thing and i guarantee you there's five or six guys in the in the motocross field and maybe a few guys in the woods you know and and out west, the the Honda's still the best. So maybe maybe the Honda rolls back there. Your yep. desert guys are still racing Hondas. So um, I I just can't see where Honda's not going to sell a bunch of items.
1: Yep. Yeah. Per- personally, I you know as far as you know. I've had several uh, YFZ 450 rs I, I don't like working on them. They're so tight, um, you know, in the frame area and by the throttle body and stuff. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of improvements since I've had mine. But I was always I always liked the carbureted Yamaha the best. That's what I raced the most and uh, did did really well on it. Um, just it was super easy to work on. Everything was open and easy to tune the carb. You just turn it, you know, get your jets and. Easy. So
0: you're definitely in a different ballpark than I am. I don't think the carbureted unit is hard to work on. I just don't think it was ever up to par for Yamaha.
1: Sure. Yeah, they they could have did better, you know, done better. I I agree in certain things, but it was easy to make power cheap out of them. And uh
0: for the most part, I agree with that, you know, so I, I just, they were a little finicky on tune.
1: Sure.
0: Really be on your P's and Q's when it comes to tuning in a Yamaha, um, everything, nothing in the industry that's carbureted likes pump gas. So you have to, oh. you have to stay away from pump gas. Yeah, but I, I, other than that, you know,
1: I'd pretty much run, you know, 110 in most of my stuff. So just it's so hard to get good gas. They just put ethanol in everything around here, so it uh yeah. It's hard to find good good fuel.
0: You know, that's the the, the, the they say they're trying to do away with fossil fuels, but I just don't ever see how they how they can.
1: No. It's it's funny though they, they they've got uh Charging stations run by diesel generators, so <laughs> we could we could go off on a tangent there. So
0: <laughs> I watched the uh, deal where this guy's got his Tesla and he's parked on the side of the road and he's got a sign that says "Need gas." The guy pulls up on him and he says, "Dude, what do you mean you need gas? You need electricity." And he goes, "Oh, check this out!" And he pops his trunk and there's a freaking Honda generator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. Uh Yeah, I thought that's just true. just sold a Honda generator somewhere. Great.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Oh, man. Oh, it's funny. The lightning, I see the lightning driving down the road, the pickup, the Ford sure. pickup. And it's got a generator in the back with a charger in the side going down the freeway. Oh, boy. Charging <laughs> it while they're driving. And I'm thinking... Well, that's the only way you're going to get anywhere because you're not going to, you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to, uh, drive very long distances.
1: No, no, it's, you know, the, the battery technology has come a long ways, but it's, it's still not there. You know, it, they can't, they can't store it long enough. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, um, elect, you know, electric is the, the way I think, you know, hydrogen would be a better, um, solution for any everything. So, um, and I see, I just read something. I don't know if it was in dirt wheels, they put something on Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, and Suzuki are partnering up to build a hydrogen engine. I don't know if you've seen Uh, that too.
0: I didn't see that, but I know that the Toyota deal, uh, got destroyed because the amount of hydrogen that they needed to carry to make it function the machine couldn't carry all the bottles. Sure. Excuse me, that it needed to to be able to function. Sure. And it, it's just not the technology's not there yet. No. Yeah. Not saying that it's not coming. What about sure. that guy? Wasn't it like a guy in the 60s that built the uh car that ran on water?
1: Yep. Yeah, somehow he uh miraculously uh vanished. So
0: yeah, well, where's that car? That's, yeah. that's pretty- I mean, (laughs) Um, yep. your fossil fuel stuff, it's, unfortunately it's political and we don't want to talk politics, but you just, everything, everything that I'm looking at behind you (laughs) is generated from the fossil fuel industry and everything everything. is generated from the fossil fuel industry. So, I mean, what do you want to eliminate? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, come on, you're eliminating pretty much everything,
0: (laughs) right? And and cars are not causing enough pollution in the world.
1: No, a volcano erupting is uh, more pollution than we can make in a lifetime.
0: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And, And the planet cleans itself in what, how, you know, within a year.
1: Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of the, the smoke from the Canadian wildfires, you know, it comes down in our jet stream and stuff. And some days it's like hazy as can be. And I know the, uh, like the north Northeast, they they were getting a bunch of it too. And uh, um, yeah, it's, it's like, well, one day it's super clear, the next day it's smoky again. So who knows?
0: <laughs> Just a bunch of people from New York that have no idea what real life is like. Not right. that not the people out in the country of New York, but the New York City. These yep. are clueless to the real world. And oh, I got a little smoke. Really, come to California, dude, in, this, in the in the fire season. You're right. You're going to smell, breathe ash and fumes all year long. So, shush. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, we're getting off on the on the wrong tangent. You got any new parts coming out?
1: Um, so I was actually machining this, uh, tonight, this is the start of a steering stem clamp for the 400 EX, um, okay. not the top models, but, um, you know, we, we definitely, that's one thing we do like doing is, uh, making parts for machines that, you know, maybe the aftermarkets have stopped supporting, um, cause people still ride them. And that's, you know, I, I like to make, make stuff that maybe hasn't been made either. Um, and I, you know, something that can be improved on. So, so that's one thing I'm working on now. And, um, there'll be other models that we come out with once we, you know, prove this concept, because it's going to use a special plastic, um, for the, for the stem bushing itself, um, that helps, uh, self lubricate it. So
0: when you say self lubricate it, um, elaborate on that a little.
1: So it's actually a UHM, uh, W um type plastic and it's got it's oil embedded uh so as it's as it slips um it actually releases a little bit of oil on the stem so that it will actually stay lubricated i'm not a big fan of grease cirks on stems because it just grease attracts uh dirt and
0: what do you use to keep the um moisture from getting in do you have a a seal system or a or a device that would would help slow that down because the stock bushing um, doesn't always do the job that it should. I mean, it does okay, but it's still something that in regular maintenance. You need to pull it apart, clean it, put it back, re-grease yeah, it.
1: it and, and, you know, it's just going to be part of regular maintenance, but this is going to – the stock Honda design wasn't great because of the, the pockets that it had. You know, they were, it was designed with like grease in mind to pack it with grease. Um, And that just, as soon as it, like you said, if it let anything by, it would go down in there and it would, you know, you'd grind on your stem and, you know, a lot of Honda stems have big grooves in them um, from the way they're built. Uh, And this, this will be a smooth bore. So um, this should take away a lot of any binding or anything that, um, you know, would come with that. So
0: well it's definitely something interesting cuz the 450r and the and the 400x are similar if i yep. you know so yep. use the same bolt pattern
1: uh it's it's a little bit different i believe so but and the uh, the 450 so the 400dx uses a double clamp setup where it's got the rear piece as well uh where the 450r is just in the front um and they use kind of a socket into the frame i believe so um so, you know, the 450R will definitely be easier to make. So, um, but, you know, the 400DX, it'll be a two-piece or three-pieces. You, know, you have your bushing and then your rear rear clamp and then your front clamp. So,
0: They're also on the 450R, they say that if you put a stem in it and you get it at the right angle with it tight, it doesn't sit in the frame. Correct. So you almost need to make a small piece that sits in the frame and then you bolt it together. So it gets it. Yeah. So it puts the stem in the correct place. So it's not in a bind.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: If you're going to make parts, I mean, come on. (laughs) Yep. I mean, that was a harder one to design. I would think because you have to match that dish in the frame you know plus yep. the seal that goes in there or the bushing that goes in there
1: so one thing we're actually looking at purchasing uh to help us with our designing is a, a 3D scanner um for you know situations like that because the to pull the geometry off of off of that you know it, it's it's tough so and to get it correct so the the 3D scanner would be perfect for that uh application so And it'll help for, you know, designing new product and just fitment.
0: Because it's in the news so much. Do you think that AI is going to have an effect on some of these parts that you make?
1: Um, maybe, you know, I don't, I guess I don't look that far ahead into it. Um, I guess I, one day at a time. (laughs) So, um, I guess if it's going to happen, it's going to happen regardless. You know, the, um, you know it's just like our phones that were you know they're probably watching us right now <laughs> so
0: probably you know you <laughs> can't say they're not you know i mean it's right
1: right unbelievable um, yeah it's I mean, pretty crazy
0: <laughs> my my daughter's all into the ai thing thinks it's the greatest thing ever and
1: uh, i'm not I'm it's not it, it. you know when i when we had just put in our first uh, robot in our Uh, fabrication business for welding and uh we were going to put in a bunch of them for welding just because of the welder there's just people you can't get them to do repetitive tasks anymore and some of them aren't fun and they're tedious and um i'm all for robots i mean i wish the workforce would come back and people would actually work but um i do a lot of robotic stuff at my job um end of arm tooling pick parts place parts stuff like that so that's uh, that's pretty cool, um, you know. You can. I, I look at it this way: if you, you know, people that are against robots, you, you probably are going to get left in the dust as far as if you're in that type of like workforce, if you're working collaborative with them. You need to either be able to program, or we'll probably get left in the dust. You know, because it's it's coming. I don't so, think a robot will ever be able to do. I really appreciate it.
0: The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at atvtalkpodcast.com. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc. offers Host MC and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Dunkin' Tech International at gmail.com or call 619 716 1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter.